0: Welcome to the Folkloristic Podcast, the podcast about the stories we want to hear and the stories we long to tell. My name is Bernie and I'll be your host. Iceland. The name itself has sort of a mystical appeal to it. Uh, It's a destination of choice for landscape photographers and adventure travelers Iceland is anthropologically, uh, a part of Europe. However, geographically, it sits right on the tectonic plates that border Europe and North America. So we're going to count this as North American folklore, uh, today. Today, we're going to be talking to, uh, a, a lady named Heidi Herman, uh, found Heidi while doing some research on Icelandic Christmas folklore. And, uh, She has done some really great work on this subject uh, that is really, really interesting. So I think you're going to really enjoy my conversation with Heidi today. Uh, The Christmas folklore of Iceland borders on the horrifying, to be honest with you, but of course, that's why we love it. So um, today I'm going to share with you a conversation that I had with Heidi, uh, an expert on the folklore of Iceland, uh, particularly knowledgeable about the folklore behind the Yule Lads and uh, we're going to find out in, in this episode a little bit more about the Yule Lads of Iceland, how uh, this fits into their Christmas celebrations. Uh, in this episode, we also discuss uh, why so much of Icelandic folklore is dark, how the land and the geography of Iceland shapes her stories, and how folklore was used to make children behave. Heidi is an author and a speaker, And has a wealth of knowledge about the fascinating lore and legend of Iceland. So I really enjoyed my conversation with Heidi, and I hope you will as well. So uh, today, on this special Christmas episode of Folkloristic Podcast, uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Heidi. Heidi, I am super glad that you're joining us today at Folkloristic, and uh, I think our listeners are going to be super excited to hear what you have to say and and, uh, understand a little bit more about uh, Icelandic folklore. uh, You know, Heidi, I think I mentioned to you that one of the things that I'm more or less focusing on is North American folklore. But I'm making an exception for Iceland because I feel like even though it's sort of uh, you know culturally European, it's it's right from what I understand, like located right on the tectonic plates between North America and Europe. Is that is that correct?
1: It it is absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, the the plates run right through the middle of the country. Um, it is considered part of Europe, and the Western Fjords is the westernmost part of Europe. But the the North American plate runs straight through Thingvellir and up through the north. So, yeah, they, they split it in half. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, we're going to count it. So, <laughs> so um, hey, Heidi, tell me a little bit about your, your, your background. And um, uh, I, I, I found you online as being someone who is, is really an expert in Icelandic folklore, um, which was very interesting to me. What, what's your background that causes you to uh, have that interest and that passion?
1: Well, my family's from Iceland, actually. My mother was born and raised there, and her lineage on both sides can be traced back to the year 985, wow. so we've got a lot of Icelandic heritage. She met my father during World War II. He was uh, an American soldier in the Navy, And they met at a USO dance and got married and moved here to the States. So I grew up here in uh, central Illinois, but uh, learning all about the Icelandic heritage and folklore. uh, The past few years, I've really worked at rewriting it and presenting it uh, in ways that uh, American children and families can actually enjoy.
0: Oh, that's very cool. What a a heritage and a, a lineage. That's that's really cool. Um so have you been to Iceland, I'm assuming?
1: Uh yeah, I've been uh four or five times. Um I go there for a week or two at a time to do research and um learn as many of the old legends as possible. And there are so many. They go back so far. Wow. <laughs> uh, but it's fascinating. It's a phenomenal country to travel in and explore and just learn uh, just a totally different approach to life that they have there
0: hmm. what is what how is how is their approach to life completely different, which i obviously I know about lot back that up every culture is going to have a different approach than what you know as as North Americans we have, but um how is that different
1: uh it's very natural, very based on the land and the incorporation of some of these old legends, uh, it's, it's almost like the, the realities of the harsh lifestyle created the legends, but then the legends take on a life of their own and they direct how people live. Like the yeah. 68% of the population will not say they don't believe in the hidden people or what really? we think of as like fairies or elves. Right.
0: Wow. Uh, that's
1: fascinating. Taking care of the land and just the the inherent dangers of there aren't any walls or fences that would protect you from you know falling into a, a crevasse or mm-hmm. uh, a waterfall or anything like that. The the country has so much volcanic rock and mm-hmm. very dangerous places that it was just easier and more effective to make children afraid of trolls and hidden people and uh, natural predators, (laughs) rather than mom saying, don't go near that river.
0: (laughs) Right, exactly. So
1: they've been raised with these. As a matter of fact, the Yule Lads, Mm -hmm. originally the stories were so intensely scary that in the 1700s, they passed a law that prohibited parents from terrifying their children with these stories anymore. Wow. so yeah, so over time they just as they retold them, they just got a little bit nicer and nicer. But the original ones were pretty terrifying that if you were bad, mm-hmm. uh, the Yule lads and their mother Grela, who is a horrible ogre, right. they would come down and steal you and put you in a sack and take you up to the mountains and leave you in a cave until they were ready to make bad kids stew. And then you would be dinner.
0: <laughs> wow, that's a, a little bit different motivation than, you know, be good or Santa's gonna put coal in your stocking, you know?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um and there it it is very funny because that conditioning on behavior uh is part of where the legend of the Yule cat comes in. Right. Um, because it's sort of the same thing. If you don't get clothes, for Christmas, uh-huh. the yule cat will kind of throw you over his back and and drag you up to the mountains again to go into a cave until your bad kids do. Uh, but where that comes from is every fall, everyone has to help uh, work the roundup where they get all the sheep down from the mountains and you know they they do all the shearing and you know collect them up for the winter. And anyone who doesn't help with the Roundup um, doesn't get wool. So as part of your compensation, you get wool. And if you have wool, then you get new clothes. So anyone who doesn't help and didn't work didn't get new clothes. So the Christmas cat would automatically target anybody who doesn't have new clothes.
0: Gotcha. That's so interesting. Well, let's actually, <laughs> let's back up just a second, just because some of the listeners may not be familiar with, with the Yule Lad lore, um, or the Yule Cat lore, even, um, which <laughs> which I'm not sure how predominant that even would still be today. But but could you could you just for those who are just brand new to this, what what is the the, the Christmas lore of Iceland? What who are the Yule Lads? What do they do? Um, and uh, maybe just kind of tell that story to us.
1: Well, the, the Yule Lads are 13 of the children of an ogre named Gríla. And Gríla actually is from some mythology in Iceland that dates back to the 13th century. There's actually mentions of her in the Shetland Islands and the Faroe Islands. So she's, she's pretty popular and very old. And in the Icelandic folklore, it's the only country that kind of developed these Yule lads, and there's 13 of them. And they start coming down from the mountains every day, uh, 13 days before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And the first one is Sheepcoat Clod, and he likes to chase sheep, and he drinks sheep's milk. And the second one is Gulligok, and he likes to drink cow's milk and each day each one comes down to the villages and they create all kinds of mischief and havoc and you know so when you see the the milk disappearing or one of them likes to steal sausage and one likes to steal spoons from the kitchen so as all these little things start happening around the house um, I think it's fantastic around Christmas time because children who are misbehaving, they can just blame all these little problems on the Yule Lads <laughs> <laughs> and not take responsibility. <laughs>
0: so, so um, kind of the opposite of what they used to be as sort of deterrent from from mischief. It's now an excuse for mischief. Is that what we're saying? I,
1: I, I, well, I, I don't know. I don't think that was the intent, but <laughs> I know if I were a little kid, I might be tempted to use that. <laughs> That's right. So uh, it just shows they, our
0: warped minds here, or something. I don't
1: know. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so they, they come down and they're they're creating havoc uh, in the house. So every day they add one until December twenty fourth. The last one is Candlebagger, um, and he likes to steal candles. Uh, way back in the early days of Iceland, candles were actually made out of uh, like whale fat. And so they actually had a flavor and they were edible. So originally he liked to eat them. I think at at this point in time, we can just say he likes the sparkle. Oh, um, and you have all these around. But the, the fun thing is, even though they create trouble and, and some mischief and that, every night they will leave a gift in the children's shoes. And if the children are good, they get a little gift in their shoes. And if they're bad... They get a rotten potato. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so in Iceland, even before you come up to Christmas morning, you've already received 13 gifts.
0: Gotcha.
1: Because each one of the Yule lads leaves you something. Of course, they don't have Santa Claus, so right. Christmas morning, you don't have all the presents Christmas morning from Santa. Right. Right. But you've already had thirteen of them, so and then after Christmas, they start leaving one day at a time. So the Christmas season actually runs all the way through January sixth.
0: Ah, gotcha. So in other words, when they when they start coming, like the first one comes, but he sticks around the whole time. Like then the second one comes and now there's two. And then there's three and then there's so eventually there's like thirteen of them hanging around. Gotcha. Okay.
1: And then starting on Christmas Day. The first one to arrive would have been Sheepcoat Claude, so he leaves on December 25th, uh, and then they leave one at a time in the order that they came. Gotcha. Um, and that I think that tradition really probably originated from when Iceland converted to Christianity, right. um, because just uh, January 6th is Three Kings
0: Day. Yeah.
1: So you've got your 12 days of Christmas, no matter which... Uh, religious undertones you look at, either the 12 days leading up to Christmas or the 12 days after Christmas. Fascinating.
0: That is they
1: fascinating. got them both covered.
0: <laughs> which And that makes sense then, because then the 13th day would be like Christmas Day. So there's 13, which like then the numbers add up, I guess.
1: Yes. Okay.
0: I, I thought it was interesting that, that 13, you know, there are 13 Yule lads, um, just because, it, you know, and I don't know if this is true in Icelandic, Folklore or not, but I mean, in much my, their number thirteen can be bad luck in a lot of different streams of lore. So um, I just thought that was an interesting number. Um, you know, I didn't know if that had any significance or not. But
1: I'm I'm not sure that it does. There doesn't seem to be much evidence of the significance in the the numbers um, in a lot of Icelandic folklore. If you look at Grela, as far as the, the ogre, and she's, she's the Icelandic equivalent of like a boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Not real prevalent in the Christmas mythology, except that she's the mother. Um, overall, in the legends, uh, she has hundreds of children. Uh, Only gotcha. these 13 relate to Christmas. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So. Fascinating. Okay, and then, if you can... So, how does this because i found the the little bit that i read about the yule cat to be fascinating uh terrifying but fascinating <laughs> so how does that so is the cat i think i saw somewhere that's greelis cat
1: it is it is Gryla's cat okay. yes um almost like in in american folklore how the cat would be a witch's familiar gotcha. um so is an ogre and the cat um has, has sort of changed form throughout the years. There are some that say it's a huge, monstrous, you know, large cat. Others, it's, you know, more normal size, um, but very evil-looking, uh, slinks around. Uh, he he doesn't seem to have a, a unique story of his own, mm-hmm. um, but just always very much around Grilla and helps her steal... Children from their homes if they're bad so she can make her bad kids do
0: gotcha okay um so let's let's go back then a little bit to to uh, we touched on um the just the dark nature of that folklore at least in its original format um and looking through uh some of the things that you've written Uh, It's definitely, you've brought it kind of to where it's appealing to children where they're not going to, you know, it's not like a scary story for kids or something. Um, I think it's interesting that in a lot of old, I mean, even, you know, in in European Brothers Grimm, you know, um, we know that, uh, uh, well, uh, Cinderella is not really the story that Disney you know gives us the uh the indication that it is nor is the little yeah. mermaid or any of those stories so um talk to us a little bit about that um i just think it's interesting that that the earliest forms were dark um why that is and you know why that might be interesting to some
1: well i i will be honest i have not done a lot of research on the original stories for grimm's brothers or um some of the ones that originate in europe but The Icelandic stories, a lot of them refer back to the days of settlement or the early days. And those would be uh, around the year 950 to about 1200 when Iceland was first being settled. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of volcanoes there, a lot of volcanic activity, Hmm. glaciers. They have a lot of waterfalls, hot springs. It's a very dangerous country for you to just wander through, um, even the tides that come in very quickly. Hmm. Um, A lot of the folklore mythology is based on the land truly uh, being alive with lots of creatures. Um, the hidden folk are one of the strongest uh, legends within Iceland that a lot of people still believe in hmm. um, it's and and they're they're protectors of the land, but they're also a cautionary tale you oh. know you don't walk on the moss. it takes hundreds of years for that moss to develop, and bad luck will haunt you if you walk on that moss. The hidden will get you so to speak you know bad things will happen and where that comes from is parents teaching a lesson to their children when that moss grows over you know in in reality when the moss grows over the volcanic rock you can't tell what's safe to walk on and what part you're going to step on and all of a sudden fall through this big crevasse and fall you know 40 feet Uh, uh, um but anyone who's a parent knows if you tell a child don't touch the stove because it's hot right. they're going to touch the stove right but if you tell them in the middle of the night don't reach under the bed because that boogeyman's going to get you mm-hmm. there is no way that child is putting their hand under the bed
0: <laughs> <laughs> right
1: <laughs> so i i think it's far more effective to keep the children safe um you know out you know wandering mm-hmm. uh by telling them there's there's monsters because yeah. they'll they'll avoid that a whole lot more than you know mom said I can't do that
0: and in reality the the monster and the crevasse are one and the same, are they not you know like,
1: absolutely yeah so
0: that's
1: absolutely and the it it it's so easy to imagine uh this being real because when you're in iceland the the fog can roll in so fast. One moment, it's a clear day, and in less than five minutes, you can't see your hand in front of your face. And to think that there are creatures there. Uh, mm-hmm. Or if you're walking um, along the ocean and you know up in the cliffs, you hear all these strange echoes of the birds and these mumblings mm-hmm. that almost sound like conversation, and you would swear looking at some of the uh, the formations, they look like faces and wow. they're watching you and you can buy into it so wow. easily.
0: Wow. Well, well, you know, Heidi, I'm a, I'm an amateur photographer as well. And I, I, uh, follow a lot of different people who basically put, you know, Iceland out there as sort of the, uh, the landscape photographer's paradise. So, um, I, I definitely, uh, you know, from the photos that I've seen, um I can see that. I can see that. It's uh it's it's on my list of places to visit. So um it's uh that's that's really fascinating. And that actually even steps into one of the other questions I had was related to geography because I felt like um because Iceland does seem to be a truly unique place geographically speaking that its stories would uh would sort of fold into that which you've kind of touched on that. So
1: yeah they uh they've unfolded and they don't have a whole lot of mixture with other stories other countries they've they've really been uh sort of independent and even the language um lots of other countries the language kind of incorporates words from neighboring countries mm-hmm. and it changes over time mm-hmm. even if you look at english we Uh, We find it funny how people used to talk, you know, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, and if you look at something that was written 300 years ago, it's very difficult for us to read, Mm -hmm. but the Icelandic language has changed so little in the past 1,000 years that anyone native to Iceland who can speak and read it in today's environment, you can pick up texts that were written a 1,000 years ago and still read them.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Well, I I actually have, and I don't know why, just Iceland being the interesting place that it is, I suppose, I've started listening to uh, several um, musical artists who are uh, Icelandic artists. So there's a gal named Mirna Ross, who has just really beautiful kind of ethereal sounding music, but a lot of it is in the Icelandic language that uh, I found just listening to it fascinating. I have no idea what she's saying, but uh, it sure is a beautiful language, uh, especially when it's being sung. So um, I'll put that, uh, I'll put her in the show notes so <laughs> folks can uh, check her out on uh, uh, Spotify or iTunes because she's uh, really a fantastic um, singer. So
1: Absolutely. I I 100% agree. It's beautiful to listen to. Uh, it's a very difficult language to learn, but it is definitely beautiful to listen. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, do you speak Icelandic?
1: Uh, I speak very broken Icelandic. Okay,
0: okay. I'm assuming your mom still is uh, um, st- still able to, because uh, um, that, that would be her native language. Yeah.
1: Yes. And she does. She does speak it. And um, I do some of my research um, goes back to the Icelandic language. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the original stories you have to kind of go back and, and translate to find out what the original story was.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. Uh, so when's your next trip there for research?
1: Uh, February.
0: Wow. So you're going to go in a time of year when maybe it's... Uh, is, it, is it any more difficult in the... I mean, obviously, in the summertime, you know, I guess I just have... Um, I used to live fairly high up into the northern hemisphere uh, in Central Asia. And, uh, you know, the, the, the winter is a tough time to go to that part of the world. Is it, uh, is it, is it fairly harsh winters or no?
1: Uh, well, it it depends. I personally live in Illinois who we've had some harsh winters <laughs> here the past couple of years.. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, and in Reykjavik, it is rare for them to get below freezing. Wow, uh, it does snow there, but it doesn't stick around and it doesn't pile up like it would say in Chicago, right. Um, but the northern side of Iceland is getting pretty close to the Arctic Circle. Yep. Um, so definitely the storms there are a lot tougher and you can, you can run into some, and obviously the higher you go in elevation, it gets difficult. But the wonderful thing is in the summertime, you've got the midnight sun. Yeah. So if you're looking to vacation, you are out running around until midnight very easily okay. because it's so bright. Right. And, uh, by 4am the sun's back up again. So no, um, it's wonderful to do so much but in the winter time you have the northern lights Right. which that's one of the most amazing places in the world to actually see the northern lights so there's benefits to either one
0: yeah that's fantastic um, so if someone wanted to know let's do this because I want to talk a little bit um, before we cut out here a little bit about your personal work and your current projects and things but if someone wanted to know more about Iceland and Icelandic like folklore, um, stories from Iceland. Do you have any resources that um, would be helpful for folks to check out at the library or wherever?
1: Well, uh, the population of Iceland is 300,000 people. And so a lot of people, uh, it's very difficult to find information on Iceland. Mm -hmm. Uh, And most libraries don't stock a whole lot, uh, which Mm -hmm. is why I've been trying to write more um I have a couple of books on the Yule lads, one on folklore, and my mother actually wrote uh her memoirs of growing up in Iceland, hmm. kind of a little house on the prairie international version sort of thing. Um and we we try to get those into as many libraries as possible, but it is it is difficult. Uh, we we do have a website called legendaryiceland.com. Okay. We'll
0: put that in the show notes.
1: That that provides some links to some. Um, other than that, definitely uh, going to a local library to find uh, what they have there, and maybe even request some information to, you know, bring bring some more online.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. So I on your website, Heidi, you say that you are currently working on thirty different children's stories and a couple of novels. So uh, like, what? Tell us a little bit about. Uh, some of your current projects and uh, and what you're working on and what folks might be able to do to kind of look forward to, you know, maybe in the next year or so.
1: Okay. The um, the 30 short stories, we uh, actually finished those and those came out. We ended up uh, publishing 27 of them um, in a book of folklore from Iceland. So that one just came out uh, about six weeks ago. Great. Um, and that's the the Guardians of Iceland and other Icelandic folktales. Um, I'm also researching the sagas, and there are over 40 individual sagas of Iceland, and each one has numerous different stories in there. Um, a lot of our stories of Thor or Valhalla and the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Uh, if anybody's a, a fan of the TV show, The Vikings, a lot of those stories comes out of the sagas. Hmm. So pulling some of the less graphic ones and rewriting right. those for children right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> is something that uh, perhaps the next 12 to 18 months I'll, I'll have finished. Um, the, the novels are more uh, reality uh, following some travels uh, from Iceland through immigration to the United States, some, okay. some historical uh, novels there is what I'm working on. And, um, and always, as much as I focus on other things, I always come back to uh, the Yule Lads and the folklore there because they are so much fun. Yeah, They're always so much fun. <laughs>
0: absolutely, absolutely. Well, where is the best place Heidi for people to follow you um you know either you know website wise, social media wise if they want to kind of keep up with what your new projects are and uh, and and even connect with uh some of the stuff you've already done.
1: Okay. Uh my my website is heidihermanauthor.com. Okay. And I've got a link to my blog on there to keep up with current stories and new projects. Um and I also have a a Facebook page.
0: Great, great. I will uh, put links to all of that in the show notes, so folks can just kind of click on it and and uh, and check out all your work. Well, Heidi, it has been Thank absolutely you. a pleasure to talk to you. This has been so much fun. Uh, I hope absolutely. That, uh, during this Christmas season, people will uh, check out some of that tradition and and maybe even incorporate it into some of their own family traditions. I mean, it might be kind of fun to, you know, have your kids put a shoe in the window for 13 days or 12 days before Christmas or whatever and, uh, you know, have some little, you know, even if it's not, you know, the Santa Claus gifts, even having a little piece of candy or whatever, it might be kind of a fun thing for families to do together.
1: I I think it is fantastic how people have... Uh, encouraged an elf that moves around their house I I think incorporating some Yule Lads into the traditions and make it a little more international that is just so much fun.
0: Absolutely, absolutely well they can check out your, if they want to know more they can read the the, the book that you've written on the Yule Lad stories and uh, check out all of your stuff online
1: All right. well thank you so much this has really been a joy today
0: Likewise, I really appreciate it Heidi thank you I hope you enjoyed uh, that conversation as much as I did. Uh, Heidi is just a pleasure to get to know. Uh, Check out her stuff at HeidiHerman.com. also have links to all of her children's books and the things that she's written. Um, She's actually quite prolific in her authorship and writing about the folklore of Iceland and she's got more stuff coming out as you heard so uh, check her out at HeidiHerman.com also have a link to her author's page on Amazon uh, as well as to her blog so uh, I think uh, uh, she's she's on her Facebook page as well so do uh, follow Heidi find out more of, of, of the work that she's doing uh, she uh, is, is, is coming out with some more things here in the near future and I think you'll find it be really interesting I know I do so well that's all for today uh, here at Folkloristic Uh, I hope that this holiday season for you uh, is uh, one of 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 joy and peace Um, may you know uh, uh, peace and joy throughout this holiday whatever uh, whichever one of these holidays that you celebrate Uh, and uh, I appreciate you listening and being a part of the Folkloristic community um do check out the Facebook page at, uh, Facebook slash folkloristic. Uh, we've got a few social media things. You can follow me at Bernie, the bard, uh, and on Twitter would love to interact with you and, and, uh, get your input and, uh, Uh, Get your stories. Want to hear from from all of our listeners at uh, Folkloristic.com. Hope you have a a great uh, holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All of that. And uh, we'll see you next week here at uh, the Folkloristic Podcast. Uh, Until then, may your week be magical. And I'll see ya.